Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times, and I am feeling good, my man. 7-2 and two against the spread as we speak. We've got another bowl winner on tap tonight. We will get into some more bowl picks, and I'll try to make them as quick as possible, uh, not try to bore anyone at the end. But we're going to talk some Hokies before we get into that. Um, but then we'll celebrate the season. I mean, it is bowl season. It is the holiday season, and we'll have some fun with some gambling picks, make you some rubber band banks. Andy, um, first of all, how are you feeling? I know, you know, last week you were in really rough shape. You sound a little better. Somewhat better. Uh, it gets aggravated when I talk, which isn't uh, <laughs> ideal for Who a podcast that? situation. So if you hear some coughing in the background, it's because I'm talking a little bit more on the podcast. Well, if I need to carry a little bit more load than usual, that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm, I'm riding high on the se- 72. Seven and two is 77 percent. You know, I mean, that's against the spread. This is why that I'm, means you're wrong 23 percent of the time. This is why I've long argued that we needed to do the fillers forecasters against the spread because I make better choices. I'm smarter. I think about it more. I care more. I went and did our fillers forecasters. You know how long it took me today to fill those out. Five seconds. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Well, yeah, you always get the picks like, Virginia Tech or Liberty? Who are you going to pick? It's <laughs> right. like, well, what? what is the point of – I mean, 50% of the games are sort of locks, yeah. I would say. And even if they're not locks, everybody's going to pick in the same direction. So if you miss it, then everybody misses it. So And, and, and shouldn't we have gotten credit for having the tenor <clears throat> of that Clemson-Virginia Tech ACC title game right? We should. And, and and we should have been punished for having some of the ones that we had wrong wrong. You know, like we had the tenor wrong, but we was picking Virginia Tech to win, and they didn't cover. You know, like it, to me, that shows no knowledge of anything. I mean, you can't monetize that in any way. I, I want my picks to be monetized. Well, take it up with the founder of the Fearless Forecast. Oh, I have many times. many Over many bowling frames, I have told <laughs> Doug Dowdy that this is, needs to change, and he's stubborn and set in his ways. All right, let's get to the topic du jour. You know, last week we talked briefly about wakey leaks, um, but not extensively because it really didn't affect Virginia Tech. Uh, Beautiful timing on our part. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the same – was it the same day? It was – Probably an hour after I posted the podcast, Virginia Tech comes out and admits that it had some involvement in WikiLeaks. And what we're going to discuss here is who was it? No, I'm just kidding. I don't think – I think you've already gone on record as saying uh, you don't know who it is and you don't particularly care or you you think it's unfair to the innocent parties to try to speculate. Isn't that right? (coughs) No, I care. I just – I'm not going to go in to talk about all the people because if – you talk about the seven coaches and give a reasons why each one might have done it, then you're going to be wrong on six of them. So uh, I will still pry to find the answer. Uh, Virginia Tech right now is not going to give up the name of the person, but there's a lot of records you can sift through that can probably find the answer. It might just take some time to get these requests filled to get phone records or email records and things like that. So I care about who it is. 
I'm just not going to sit here and say, well, this person had a reason like for – here's a good reason for this guy and a good reason for this guy. And then in the aftermath of it all, you really drag six guys' names <laughs> through the mud that, that had nothing to do with it. I agree. It sounds like a really fun activity actually. I mean it sounds like a real – like a setting odds on who it was. I mean if you – It's do- like a game of Clue. It's like, <laughs> oh, this coach in the conservatory with the candlestick uh, found out Wake had a flea flicker that they were going to run on this call. Do you buy – Tech stance that that only maybe only one really was affected and Frank never knew and Bud never knew and uh, the rest of the the staff was not infected with this this uh, knowing virus. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tr- I believe Frank when I hear it. He's a pretty trustworthy guy, a uh, guy who had a lot of integrity in his coaching career. Uh, I believe Bud when he says it because quite honestly, I don't feel like Bud needs the advantage. In that situation, uh, it might be a situation where the guy, the the coach got the information and maybe was kind of stunned that he even got it. I mean, if you get information like that, would you even believe that it's trustworthy? Yeah. From the considering the source who it's coming from. So I, I'm not sure. Uh, it might be a case where the coach just got the information and perhaps was just kind of shocked about it and then just sat on it and buried the whole thing. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, the result was the same as what Louisville got. Uh, for actually getting the information and using it, uh, $25,000, which was the max that the ACC could find somebody. Uh, I guess it's kind of interesting if if there are these two approaches of Virginia Tech, very apologetic at first, does not right now seem like they use the information versus Louisville, which was not apologetic until people came down hard on them. Uh, Really, uh, you know, passed along the information to the defense. They had these plays. So, I mean, I guess you could say that they used the information and both parties were fined the same amount, 25,000. Uh, I think it kind of speaks to what the fining power of the ACC is. I, I think if it, if it could, it probably would have fined Louisville more than 25,000, but that was the max allowed uh, under their contracts. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it's a really interesting situation. It seems like, you know, 25,000 in the grand scheme of things is a slap on the wrist. So, I know a lot of Virginia Tech fans are up in arms like, well, why don't you find UNC for the academic thing? Well, the NCAA is still looking into that. They actually just got a third notice of allegations today, which is just going to draw this process out longer and longer. So there could be punishment coming down the line as soon as they finish that investigation. But for this, it seems like it was sort of a, a tidy investigation that you know the Virginia Tech didn't dispute the facts uh, when Wake Forest called them up about this. You know, they they, you know admitted to the the a coach receiving the information I, I think that's why you see such a clean cut start and finish to this whole thing and uh until or unless the the coach's name came out i really think this kind of closes the case on tech i don't think any more uh comes of this this might be you know a statement i rue later and looks foolish in, in the aftermath but I, one I hour after think, you post exactly yes right, right as soon as i post this i'll be like far-reaching implications from wakey <laughs> leagues but i i'm sorry i just i i really don't know what else comes of this for tech uh, look i agree it's a fascinating story i've gotten some some blowback from readers some readers not all uh for my jocular take on on the situation i wrote a column about it and basically said it's not that big of a deal uh basically joked about it uh and that's part of what a columnist does he, a columnist gives his opinion and my that, that's my opinion you wrote the facts you you told everybody what the the ramifications are and what exactly happened and i'm telling you i don't think it's that big of a deal it's an interesting story uh 
and it affects tech now, so it's more interesting than it was last week when we talked about it. But I just don't think it's ever going to happen again. I can't imagine. I mean, and, and I, I've been asked a couple times, would it make a difference if it were Clemson or Ohio State? Yes. Yes, it would. That would be a totally different story to me. I mean, because those are teams that are in the college football playoff. Uh, there's, It does matter. I mean, there's something in journalism called prominence. That's one of the main uh, – News values. I mean, how prominent is the school? Wake Forest is an ACC school, but in football, their prominence is, is low. And I also don't think it would have happened at Clemson or Ohio State because one of those guys, if they pulled that there, they could get killed. Seriously, those fans are crazy. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the fact that A, it happened at Wake Forest, a team that wasn't very good to begin with. B, in Virginia Tech's case, it happened in a 6-3 to three double overtime game that Wake won anyway. Right, that, that uh, matters so, I mean, too. It, uh, I think if it was like, oh, it cost them, it clearly cost them the national semifinal or something like that, that would be a huge deal. But you're talking about, oh, a 3-9 and nine Wake team uh, maybe could have gone 4-8 and eight or something like that if it had beaten Army or whoever else got the, the information that they lost to. Uh, I think in, in four of the games that it happened, Wake won anyway, or covered the spread. I, I forget exactly what the the uh, the outcome was based on, but I I just I don't know. You're right. It's a very uh, sort of isolated situation. It's like how many schools are a going to have a jilted former coach that would first of all do this. Uh, second of all, be kept on the staff in some capacity to be a radio announcer and then have full access to the plays and then go to this extraordinary step of calling other schools as sort of a, a jilted former employer. And then for those other schools to even trust that information that they're getting like, why, why would this guy be telling us this in the first place? Uh, I, I think it's – I don't know if you're ever going to see this again. So I don't know. It's like, oh, the ACC had to come down on these schools to prevent this from ever happening again. I just don't see this as the start of some kind of trend in football. And on the flip side, I'm seeing some outlets, <clears throat> even national outlets, praising Virginia Tech for their response, saying, oh, wow, what what noble – what a noble way to handle this. And they're, of course – juxtaposing that against Louisville's. Which well, I, Louisville could not have handled it worse. <laughs> True. So I guess you're, you're going to look good by comparison. But but I'm saying, like, I, I believe Justin Fuente when he says what he says because I think we all would say that. Like, if we were approached with this, we would not, you know, we would we would think about it and, and say, no, we're not going to do this. Um, I, I think, it, you know, you have to understand the machinations of, of the whole process. Like, how were they approached? Um, were they taken off guard with just a phone call out of the blue? I mean, it's kind of interesting to to think about how that all went down because you you can imagine, like you said, just being very skeptical of any opposing uh, any figure from an opposing team giving you information under the pretenses that it's going to help you win. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the part of it that I think if you're a coach who got this call, that you'd be like, "What is going on here? This is not normal." Like I. Like you kind of look at like an email is like, oh, I'm a Nigerian prince. Like I have a jaundiced <laughs> eye towards this. I I do not trust the person sending this information. I don't know why you would trust the coach in this situation uh, unless you had some kind of relationship with him before that you knew he was trustworthy. I mean I knew the Louisville guy had coached with him before. So obviously there was a connection there. I have searched high and low for a connection with anybody on Virginia Tech staff. And it, if there is one, it's not obvious. Mm. It's not something like, oh, he coached with him at this certain place. I've checked everybody's – uh, you know, history of uh, coaching history and if they've crossed paths with these guys possibly, and I just don't see it there. So 
you know, we'll see what comes out of this. I, again, I, I think this kind of uh, until or unless the name comes out of the assistant coach at Virginia Tech, I think this kind of closes the book on on the Hokies here. You know what you would call Tommy Elrod, right? It's it's a song that's played often at Lane Stadium, a cold-hearted snake. There and you I, go. And I don't you want just to wanted to work cold-hearted snake into this podcast. Yeah, look into his eyes. And and yeah. I I don't want to close out this topic without giving you proper credit for your tweet uh, regarding Elrod's name and how it's solely to certain establishment in in the area. I I didn't have a chance to favorite that. I caught onto that very late. But please tell us. Why you were disappointed that the guy was Tommy Elrod? Well, El Rodeo, everybody calls it Elrod. I and honestly, I I've only been to the one on South Main, mm-hmm. so you know I tweet that out. People are like everybody knows you go to North Main for <laughs> drinks, and then it's like, listen, I'm not a student, so I don't go down on campus a whole lot like that. So, forgive me, North Main El Rodeo. I did not know that you uh, existed, but both of those restaurants, I hope that it does not sully the good name of Elrod's. How did this happen? You you tweet <laughs> what what is uh, at least an A minus tweet, at least an A minus, and you still get blowback on it. It's what? Twitter. That's this, how it this happens. World man. Is, this world is all wrong. Okay, let's move move on. I think I'm going to write this weekend a little bit about the fact that you know <laughs> I don't think anybody involved with Virginia Tech fans, players, coaches administrators wanted them to have that sort of uh, that swoon they had where they they were 500 club basically for four years but one thing it's done i was looking at i was handicapping the game for the bowl guide and i realized you know techs won four out of their last five bowl games and that's partially because they're playing opponents that they can beat the tulsas and the cincinnati's of the world but um i i think there's something to be said for winning your bowl game and having a bowl record that's um, you know a little bit more because because I mean when I first got on this this hokey team I mean they were losing bowl games left and right of course they were playing very good teams in orange bowls and such but they were losing those games and there was a, a, a lot of hue and cry from myself included about what what's wrong with their preparation well we're seeing when they're when they're matched up with teams that they either supposed supposed to be or are on fairly even terms with in these postseason games they do a fairly good job of of taking care of business yeah you know i always look at the history of bowl games and people are like oh is frank was a 500 coach in bowl games like well you know what bowl games do generally is they match you up with somebody who's about as good as you are so this notion that teams go to these bowl games and they should be, you know, winning seventy percent or eighty percent, I think is a little bit overblown. I, I think you look, uh, you know, with a few exceptions, you look historically at even like the Hall of Fame coaches, they don't have overwhelmingly great records in bowl games. Just because I, I think more often than not, you get in a game like that as kind of a coin flip situation. But uh, you're right. Lately, they've been in games that uh, sort of lesser opponents that they probably should beat. Is it four or five or three or four? I'm trying to. Uh, I believe it's four or five. I'll double check. Because they beat Rutgers in the Russell Athletic, right. which was one of the worst football games I've ever seen That's right. in my life. And the next year, I believe they went to the Sun Bowl. That's when they lost you to UCLA. Chilling. After that, they won in Annapolis the Military Bowl, and they won in Tulsa last year. So I, think I think it's three or four. That may be right. Oh, well, whatever it is, three, three and one in the last four years. Let's just say Frank would have taken three out of four. And oh, ran gladly. with it for 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 the bulk of his career. I mean, that was uh, a real bugaboo. One of the one of the few things that people said, <clears throat> and rightly so, that he didn't do very well. And that was uh, win those big games on the bowl stage. And 
Yeah, and again, the stage isn't as big. Even this one is, uh, you know, it's a it's a little bit better bowl than what we've seen, but it's still, you know, you're playing a middling Arkansas squad that you're favored by a touchdown over. You know, you should win. So I don't I don't want to go too nuts about it, but I do want to say, look, I do want to point out, look, you know, they're they're not they're not falling flat in these games, uh, even if they're not the biggest matchups that that they could have gotten. Yeah. I think one of the, uh, you know, people kind of lamented the fact that they got to the Shreveport last year for the bowl game and didn't get to the Belk Bowl. It's like, well, if you had gone to the Belk Bowl, you would have played Mississippi State and Dak Prescott. And I think Mississippi State rolled up whoever they played in that game. It wasn't even close. Uh, I think they blew them out. I'm trying to think. Was it NC State, maybe? It, yeah, I think it was NC State. I, and I think they ran them off the field. So, I mean, that would have been sort of a downer to end Frank Beamer's career. But. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this team reacts to Fuente. I mean, it's a new coach, new coaching staff, and uh, maybe they have a different approach to how they get into bowl games. I know, you know, Frank for a while, they criticized for, oh, it's a reward at the end of the season, and they kind of treated it that way, and maybe that uh, added to their performance in some of these games. Again, I I don't know how much of that influences it, but uh, I, I know very much Fuente would like to win this game, get to 10 wins, send these seniors out right uh, you know, it's important to him to win the game. It's not important just to go to a game like this. Right, right. Okay, before we move on to non-tech related things, uh, Shy McKenzie had an interesting tweet this week. Um, actually, it added you, right? It, what do you call that? Is that just called adding someone? Uh, replying to re- somebody. Re- replying. You've he, been on Twitter. You know what the words are. <laughs> Okay, he replied to you directly to a tweet that you had, right? Uh, what did he say? Well, you know, Fuente was asked this week, you know, where's Shy McKenzie been? He hasn't played in a while. I don't think he's dressed for the last couple games. I know he wasn't at the ACC championship game. And you know, Fuente said uh, he hasn't been healthy, uh, didn't really elaborate. He doesn't really go into details on injuries too much. Uh, I tweeted, he's on, Fuente said he hasn't been healthy or he's not healthy right now. I uh, didn't elaborate much. And Shy McKenzie responded to me is that I've been healthy for a year and a half. You'll have a story to write very soon. So uh, from the sounds of it, he did have some kind of medical procedure recently. So maybe Fuente was speaking the truth in that regard that he's not healthy right now. But it sounds like before that there was, you know, some sort of rift or some sort of doghouse situation where Shy and the new coaches just didn't see eye to eye on something. And, uh, I think everybody can sort of read between the lines on this whole thing and what direction this is going. And, uh, you know, when you have a new coach, sometimes these new players just don't mesh with the new coaching staff. And the, the new coaching staff doesn't see something in these players that obviously the players think that they have a certain skill set that would fit in. Uh, that's why you see all sorts of attrition. Uh, certainly uh, immediately after a coach is hired, I think some guys just look at it and go, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. And the coaches are like, you know what, that, that's OK if you want to go a different direction. Uh, sometimes it takes a year to see how you might fit into a situation. Uh, I think this is something that, you know, Shy has been there earlier in the year and he ran a little bit and, and hasn't gotten any carries and hasn't played uh, in the last seven games. So this is probably looking at, uh, uh, you know, parting of the ways after the season. I'm not sure exactly where Shy would be looking, but uh, it, it seems like a situation is just something that's beyond repair at this point. I'm, certainly with the tweets, I mean, I'm sure Fuente and the coaching staff sees that kind of stuff. Uh, it's probably uh, a bridge too far at this point. A fridge too far, fatty. Uh, no, I, I, hadn't there been other tw- 
I got a movie for you, Fatty. A fridge too far. Oh, okay. okay. I was trying to think what that reference was. But... Uh, yeah. Didn't didn't Chai have some tweets before though? I mean, it, maybe 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 I'm wrong, but I thought uh, he, I think I thought it, he just sort of did some cryptic tweets. He before. had replied to Barber about how uh, he was trying to get Scout Team Player of the Week ever since Week Five right, or something like it. that, and you know it wasn't like. You know, he was being sarcastic in the tweet. You can read it into it pretty well uh, with something like that. So I just think, you know, for a while, I think he's seen where, what his role on this team is and how he hasn't had a role. And he's, you know, you can't fault these guys for wanting to play and wanting to be in a situation where they can get on the field. And, you know, if the coaches don't feel like he's in a, a place where he can help the team or where they want to put him on the field where he can do something, then it doesn't make sense for him to stay here, for the coaches to keep him here. Definitely. Okay. And I saw in your story today, uh, we're taping this on Wednesday, there's a player from Charlotte on Tech's roster, right? And uh, Adonis Alexander. And he didn't want to talk about it? Or? Well, he's just sort of – I don't think he likes the media experience. Okay. okay. So we, we've been requesting him for a while him. all season. He, he's just – I think he's a little shy talking to people. And, and honestly, the way that Virginia Tech sets it up where you stand at this podium in front of cameras and – like they make it so formal that you can't just stand there and talk to somebody. Right. It, it's a very uncomfortable situation. I can imagine if you don't like speaking in front of people that that would be something that you wouldn't want to do. So I can't fault him for that. I wish Tech would loosen things up and just kind of let you talk to him one on one, or you know, two on one, three guys talking to you. Know, just standing there talking without a camera, right directly in their face. I think that makes people uh, clam up quite a bit. Yeah, and a couple other guys from North Carolina, right? Three or four. Mook Reynolds is from uh, Greensboro, uh, Divine Diablo, Winston-Salem. Uh, there's a couple guys. You know, Jimmy Taylor uh, is from – I forget exactly where he's from. He's sort of eastern part of the state, I think. Rocky Mount for uh, House and Gaines. There's probably seven guys, I think, on the team there from North Carolina. Well, and you had mentioned in your story that uh, you know Tech <laughs> views Charlotte as a potential place to get some recruits, right? Uh, well, they say that, but, I mean, historically it's never really been that. Uh, Jared Boykin is probably the biggest recruit that they've had from Charlotte. Uh, I did a search for Charlotte through all the recruiting database that I had set up. Uh, there might be guys that were just outside of Charlotte that I might have missed in that whole thing. But, I mean, it hasn't been a place where you, you'd think three hours down the road like that. Like, once you cross the state line, it becomes a whole lot tougher to get some of these guys, especially if, you know, North Carolina is recruiting them or NC State or, you know, in-state schools that sort of have that sway and sort of have the public imagination of these guys because they, you know, they've lived in that state their whole life. So, uh, you know, they say they want to make it more of an in-state place, but I don't think you're ever going to see it at a level of like Richmond or 757 or something like that. I, I just think it's it becomes difficult once you cross that state line for some reason. Well, you're the probably the most knowledgeable college football guy I know. Uh, I wanted to get your take on this whole McCaffrey and Fournette flap here. Uh, both, both star players, uh, one at Stanford, one at LSU, have announced that they're, they're not going to play in their bowl games because they're going to the NFL – and they don't want to get hurt. Uh, they don't want to risk injury. What are your thoughts on that? I know that's been a big national topic this week. Um, you know, a lot of hot takes have been have been spilled on it. But what what do you think? Well, it's tough for me to say. Like, I am all in favor of uh, you know players' rights, and I think you know the, the players should get a little bit of money in this whole thing. It's essentially a minor league system. Uh, they're not getting anything. So I, I totally understand where these guys are coming from. And I understand that 
the payday of the NFL pales in comparison to anything they could even be offered, honestly, at the college level. So it, it's sort of a business decision from that sense, and I don't fault them for that. And I don't come down on the side of these people that say, oh, they owe it to the fans and the bowls and all this nonsense. They don't owe anybody any of that. I'm not going to be in that group of people that says that kind of stuff. But there's something about this that, you know, logically my brain says I should be thinking about this way, but I still have this feeling out there that, like, it's just a lame way to end your career. Yeah. Is it not? I, I just I, – I don't know how to, you know, separate or divorce those thoughts in my mind, but uh, – I just, just something about this doesn't sit right with me, and it's not like I'm saying, "Oh, this guy absolutely has to play in this game." But you know, if you make a commitment to play college football, don't you sort of enjoy playing college football? Yeah. Isn't that part of the fun of this thing? Is to play in these games? It just seems to me that that is uh, perhaps a decision they're making that is smart in a business sense and for their future. That maybe they'll look back at it in years years from now and say it probably would have been nice to play that last game in my career. Well, when when Ryan Williams was playing at Virginia Tech, uh, <coughs> the the excellent running back, I remember there was a stretch where Tech had a couple losses and the game that they were going to play just didn't have the juice that it was supposed to have. And I said, Ryan, I said, where's the juice? I said, where? And I didn't say it quite like that, but uh, you, you've mocked me since uh, and we both had a good laugh about it. But we like to ask players, where's the juice? And I asked him, I said, where's the juice now that you guys have lost these games? And he said, he looked me in the eye and he says, I make my own juice. He said, and that's kind of what I think you're getting at here is that these guys are, you know, we like to think of them as sort of uh, competitive for com- competition's sake, in addition to all the other reasons uh, you would play for fame or money or anything else but just because you love the game or you you feel like it's um it's the place you belong you know so uh i understand what you're saying i also agree that uh they owe it to nobody uh i also i also agree with that but i think there is something deep in there that says well you know if you're if you're evaluating them as an nfl team i mean maybe you say are are they going to make decisions always in their own best interests without thinking about those around them. Uh, I, I wonder if that is, is any part of the evaluation process. It might be. And I, mean, I think Bruce Arians said something to that effect uh, when asked about it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, we didn't talk to him because he wasn't at interviews, but Augie Conti uh, tweeted, and he, he's been refreshingly honest in his quotes lately and very candid, which is appreciated. And he tweeted, if you have an opportunity to play in a bowl game and you elect not to, you may as well tell your team that you don't care about them. I mean, that's pretty blunt. Yeah. Uh, It's a pretty blunt assessment. And obviously, you know, Augie is not in the same situation as a Fournette. I really don't blame Fournette. I mean, he's been injured the second half of the season. I feel like this is just sort of a continuation of him not playing in these games because he's been hurt. Uh, McCaffrey's the one more. I know he was hurt earlier this year. He's come back. I think he. I think he's healthy right now. You know, I'm saying this without full knowledge of his injury situation. But there's just something weird about. I don't even want to call it abandoning your team at the last second, but just veering away from this team that you've played on all season uh, at the very last second like this. And I. These people say, "Oh, this is going to shake up the Bulls. Every game that's not the playoff is meaningless now." It's like. You know, the Sun Bowl in 1992 was still pretty meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Why do you got to go after the Sun Bowl? Well, I'm just saying because they're going to play in the Sun Bowl. That's okay. that's the reason uh, – that's where Stanford is playing UNC. So that's the reason I bring that up. Like this notion like, oh, you know, the playoff has rendered 95% of these bowls, you know, meaningless. It's like, well, 
there were a lot of years where the Rose Bowl never decided who the national champion was going to be or anything like that. Like that hasn't changed. So I don't quite understand how people think, oh, this is going to be the start of some national trend and all these guys. Uh, at a certain point, I, I think just guys just want to play in these games, just go out and play and enjoy themselves playing college football because that's what they've done. Uh, some guys might make this decision, but uh, I don't know. It just it just feels lame to me. That, that's the only word I can come up with this whole thing, and, and yeah, you can hear it in my voice. Like I, I have these contrasting thoughts, and I'm logically trying to map it out, and I, I can't really come up with a great explanation for it. Just something just feels weird about this that I, I, I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me. Well, it's okay to be conflicted. I mean, that's all right. I mean, in this, in this day and age, it's not okay, I guess, because <clears> a hot take has to come and it has to come quickly. But it's okay to feel certain ways about you know, about an issue that, that are not completely one one side or the other. I think they should do it if for nothing else. They should go get their hair dryer and their knit beanie cap. <laughs> I mean, they're going to miss out on that. I think um, if he misses out on a chance to eat at Cattleman's Steakhouse, that would be uh, exactly. that'd be a shame. That would be. Now, I think we all like to think, you know, Augie plays a an unglamorous position. He's also not a borderline first round pick with True. potentially twenty million dollars at stake. But he plays a position that historically, I mean, you know, you have good teammates on the offensive line because you have to be because you you know you work together so so uh, so tightly uh, throughout the year. You know, these are different positions. These are different. Uh, you know, different level of stardom. So you know, I think you're. I think you're right. I think there's there's arguments to be made on both sides of that, uh, and that's okay. I don't think there has to be one answer there. I I think the the injury risk is really sort of the reason these guys are doing it. And in the wake of Jalen Smith, the linebacker at Notre Dame uh, last year, having a you know devastating knee injury in the Fiesta Bowl, I think that has sort of spooked some of these guys into this decision. Uh, I think when you look at it, that is still very much the exception to the rule. Uh, you know, people point that out and they go, "Well, Willis McGahee blew up his knee." Um, he did it in the national championship game. So if you want to talk about doing it in a meaningful game, that was also 2002, I believe. I mean, it, it's, it's not like this happens all the time. So maybe uh, the risk of injury is overstated a bit. I know these guys play a position. Uh, you know, if there's a position to do this, it is running back because those guys just get pounded. And I think maybe I would have less uh, of a problem with this if you could just go pro whenever you want to, which, and, you right. know, honestly, I don't, I, I, I'm not a legal expert. I don't know how that is held up through multiple legal challenges that they can just say that you have to be out of high school a certain number of years before you can enter the NFL. Uh, if they loosened up some of those restrictions, I really would have no problem with that because these guys could have gone pro last year uh, if they wanted to. But uh, like I said, there's just something that, that's strange about this that just doesn't, you know, I think it might be an overreaction to the Jalen Smith injury from last year. Uh, I think it might be overstating the injury risk. I mean, these guys have played, uh, you know, 30, 40 college games at this point and or 30 more snaps or 20 more carries or whatever they might get. Is that really going to be the, the breaking point with them? I, I know they don't want to risk it and that's part of the reason, but, uh, you know, you say playing in a meaningless bowl game like this, I mean, um, Christian McCaffrey played it against Rice in this regular season finale at Stanford. I mean, that game had no meaning whatsoever. It wasn't a conference game. It didn't really affect their bowl standing, and they weren't playing to get into a conference championship. Uh, that was sort of a glorified exhibition in, in a, of itself. Uh, why was the injury risk 
great less so in that than it is in this bowl game. I, it just seems like a very uh, somewhat strange reasoning to me that they're deciding to do this. It sounds like you would be 90-10 against this decision, <clears throat> probably if there weren't people out there saying they owe it to the fans and they owe it to the network. I, mean, I, I hate that is so I, stupid. Yeah, I don't – they don't owe it to anybody. No. I understand that they have this personal choice that they want to make. I just feel like it's, it's just kind of a lame personal choice to make personally. Yeah. You ready to toss some bowls? Of course. Okay. I know you've been rearing to go on this. You have to go in what seven and two? You said seven and two against the spread. Uh, started three and zero, oh, which is always important. I mean, you <clears> want <throat> you want to get off out of the gates well. And I texted you after each of those three victories. I was expecting an update after every result. No, I, I was going to do that to you, unless they were all winners. <laughs> but then we had a couple losers in there. Two losers. Okay, we're going to do this quickly, Andy. What maybe what we should do is you just stop me if you find anything interesting or you want to add something sounds good does that sound good yeah okay some of these have already been in print uh but they have not been on the podcast so i'll I'll get them out of the way really quickly i got idaho this famous idaho potato bowl we got idaho getting 13 and a half over colorado state these teams combined are 18 and 6 against the spread this year so these are gamblers dreams going at it in the uh, potato bowl but uh, i'm gonna go with idaho there i think they can keep that close I have nothing to add to that other than I've I've covered a bowl game in Boise and yeah this is when I used to not get sick when I was younger and that was the sickest I had been in like 15 years was when I flew out there so that's my one experience in Boise lovely town but man it's not a fun place to visit when you're sick no I can imagine it's not in Orlando isn't either I've learned that myself true. All right, and then Friday, we've got the uh, Popeye's Bahamas Bowl. I'm taking ODU, minus three and a half over Eastern Michigan. Uh, Monarchs have never played in a bowl game, so they get a trip to the Bahamas out of this deal. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, I wouldn't mind going to the Bahamas for a bowl game, you know, just location-wise, over, yeah. over Charlotte. That'd be, you know, I think the ACC needs to upgrade some of its bowl destinations. Like El Paso, I know the Sun Bowl in the past has been sort of a more prominent game than uh, where it is now in the pecking order. Uh that's a tough place to get to Shreveport, Detroit. Like some of these bowl games are just kind of weird. Whereas you look at the sec, it's like everything's in Florida or yeah. Dallas or, you know, I get, you get lower down, you go to Birmingham and places you don't want to go like that. But, uh, I feel like the ACC could do a little bit better with some of these bowl locations. I agree. Vegas needs to be on that list as well. <laughs> uh, Lockhead Martin armed forces bowl, Louisiana tech I'm take, I'm giving the minus five over Navy. Navy's kind of fallen off the cliff since their uh, quarterback, Quarterback got hurt. Um, any thoughts on Navy? Or- I the only I watched him play against Temple and they got run off the field and then they lost to Army for the first time in 15 years. So I, th- I think you're right. That quarterback being out that's a big deal. It's a big deal. They actually opened as one point favorites in this game and then the betting public said uh, new. So now they're five point. Dollars. That's a red flag right there. Yeah, right? And I'm I'm gonna go with the public on that. Uh, Troy minus four over Ohio in the Dollar General Bowl. That's an eight o'clock game on the Friday. Uh, you know, that's just basically a anti-Mac pick. Uh, Bobcats are 2-7 and seven all-time in bowl games. And, you know, they're part of the reason the Mac sucks in bowls. Here's an interesting fact from that game okay. from the AP. I'm looking at the AP bowl guide here. Frank Solich, Ohio coach, is 72. Neil Brown, the Troy coach, is half his age, 36. Wow. Youth before beauty. Is that is it the saying? Something age like, before something beauty. Something like that. I think it's age before beauty. Okay. Uh, Christmas Eve, the Hawaii Bowl, uh, an old favorite, 8 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Buckle up for some offense as Middle Tennessee and Hawaii get together. There was no line on this game when I was handicapped, I'm not sure why. Uh, 
But if it's a pick 'em, I'll take Minnesota Tennessee, even though it's a, it's a road game for them. Uh, Hawaii allows 37.5 points a game. Middle Tennessee closes regular season with a 77-point outburst against Florida Atlantic. So they know how to score, and Hawaii doesn't know how to stop them. This I, could be uh, a million-point game right here. I think every coach should be required to wear a lay on the sideline. I think they are. When they're coach. I mean, in, in every bowl game. Oh, yeah. Every bowl game, I think they should pass this on from Hawaii elsewhere. Yeah, I, I would sign up for that as well. St. Petersburg Bowl. Oh, I hate to do this. Miami, Ohio, getting two touchdowns over Mississippi State. That's a MAC team. I hold my nose and take it. Uh, the big MAC pup, uh, QB Gus Ragland, 15 TDs and no picks for the Red Hawks over the last six games, which they won all six of them. They were 0 6 to 6 and 6 to get to a bowl game. That's pretty impressive. Correct. And uh, Mississippi State ranks 110th in yards allowed per game. So there may be some yards for, for this MAC team to uh, keep it close. Or perhaps even pull up a pretty big upset there. Quick lane bull going against my uh, alma mater here, taking BC and my guy uh, Steve Adazio plus one over Maryland. My guy whose name I can't remember. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just uh, bowling through these. Um, Terps want to run the ball, and that's the one thing BC does well. Uh, they stop the run magnificently. So they're terrible on offense, but this could be one of those, you know, 10 to 7 type of games. I'll, I'll take the one point, you know, who knows. You're going to watch this one, aren't you? Yeah, it's in Detroit, 2.30 p.m. on uh on how many fans? How many fans do you think will show up to that game? Did I tell you about my dad? I did, didn't I? Yeah, you did. He went on StubHub and paid $78 <clears throat> a pop for two tickets to this game. He didn't even go through the athletic department to, like, give the athletic I, department money. It makes no sense to me. I, I, I'm really ashamed of him. He's a real penny pincher normally. Like this is like so out of character for him, but he is so jacked up for this bowl game. So $156 on two tickets. Correct. Not including the fees and stuff. He could have bought a whole section for that. I told him, I said, dad, you can get these tickets for a dollar on the day of the game. If, if that, I mean, 50 cents. Yeah. They might just let you in just Uh, like, ah, we need some seat fillers. Yeah. I mean, for my dad's sake, I hope I'm wrong here, but I'm going to go with BC. Uh, Camping World Independence Bowl. We're familiar with that one. I had a good time there last year. Uh, Vanderbilt plus four and a half over NC State. I'm going to take the uh, the Commodores there. They've won four of their last six, including victories over Georgia, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. Uh, you know, take the points in the battle of six and six clubs. I really say. good defense on Vanderbilt. Plus, I'm always sort of anti-NC State. I, I, th- I think they're fraudulent. You've been banging the drum for, and you've been right. You've been correct, other than that. Uh, that finale against uh, UNC where they actually came out and did something. Yeah, that was shocking to me, but I guess it shouldn't be because UNC kind of does that in big games like that. Here's an interesting one. the cotton uh, At the Cotton Bowl, the Heart of Dallas Bowl, uh, noon on December 27th. This is uh, Army minus 10 over North Texas. I'm going with the, the Black Knights there. Uh, these teams actually met in the regular season. North Texas, Texas forced seven turnovers and won 35-18 <clears throat> at Army. So that would make you think, why Why is Army a huge favorite here? Well, the mean green tanked defensively after that game. They haven't stopped anybody, and Army's playing pretty well. They're coming off the high of beating uh, Navy first time in 15 years. I like Army. you like that pick? It's a lot of points. Uh, yeah, I don't really have an opinion about the game. I always, Whenever I th- hear North Texas, I always think of the school from, unne- from Necessary Roughness. Was that Texas State or I forget what team? That's just that's the first thing that comes to mind because they're the mean green. They have green uniforms and 
you know, the Scott Bakula, Sinbad-led team, Kathy Ireland-led team in that movie. They had greens. That's the first thing that comes to mind whenever I hear that school. Was that better or worse than Beverly Hills uh, Ninja or whatever we watched with the... You're, you're talking about Malibu's Most Wanted? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's in that? Ah, uh, who is that? It's the... Uh, he's funny. He's the guy who had his own show. Jamie something or other. He wears a shirt. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie something. <laughs> it was, it's not a great movie, but it does have some funny moments of it. Tay Diggs and Anthony Anderson, especially in that movie, I think are funny. Okay. I, I'm Sports spoof movies don't do a lot for me. <clears throat> uh, I'll take Major League and, and beyond that, uh, pretty much all of them suck in my opinion. But moving on, Military Bowl. We're familiar with that one in Annapolis. We got Temple and Wake Forest locking horns. That's a Temple by 11 and a half. I will lay the lumber here. I will take Temple. I will give the points. Normally you'd favor ACC over AAC, but Wake hasn't shown anything close to the offense. It'll need to keep pace with Temple. The Owls are glittering 12-1 and one against the spread. Is, uh, is Matt Rule coaching in that game? I can't imagine he is. They will be led by interim coach Ed Foley. So, I think we've seen that that doesn't really matter. I think Ed because Western a, Kentucky went out and, and won big the other night, and yeah, I, I don't. I think sometimes these guys do kind of get up for their interim coach, even though they didn't. Uh, Houston didn't when Tom Herman left, and they're playing with their actual next coach, Major Applewhite. Uh, so I don't think he can really draw anything from that one way or another. Yeah. Okay. Holiday Bowl. Washington State, I'm laying a big number again, minus 10 over Minnesota. I would not take Minnesota in a million years in this game. Uh, with yeah. everything that's going on with that yeah. program that they barely even played in this game, the head coach backed their players without having read anything of that report, which I have to imagine at some point in the not-so-distant future, he's probably going to get canned too. Uh, Minnesota's just a mess right now, and Washington State can put points up on people. I feel very passionately about that pick. Yeah. I'll read you what I wrote. The line, This line soared after Minnesota had 10 players suspended for an off-campus incident, and the team announced and later rescinded <clears> a <throat> boycott. No thanks. No thanks. That's my, that's my final thought on that. Uh, and Washington State ranks second nationally in passing yards per game. They can pitch it around a bit. Mike Leach can throw the ball. He knows how to do it. That's right. All right, next Also, yep. historically, uh, Glenn Mason got fired for a – second half collapse against a Mike Leach Texas Tech team. I think they had like a 35-point lead in the second half, and they lost. And they, they had done that in a bowl game previously, and that was like the last straw. They're like, all right, Glenn Mason, you're fired. We'll find somebody better, and they really haven't found anybody better since then. This is going way better than I thought it would. You're doing a really nice job <clears throat> with your notes. I mean, you're you're really, really doing it. He's not the best color guy in the business for no reason. You're adding good stuff here. Okay, the Motel 6 Cactus Bowl, they'll leave the light on for you. Uh, Boise State, I'm another chalk, man. I'm taking Boise State. I'm laying the seven and a half over Baylor. Broncos are an unseemly three and nine against the spread, but how do you back Baylor right now? The Bears have been forced to turn to erratic freshman QB Zach Smith, eight TDs, six <coughs> INTs after losing starter Seth Russell. I just, you know, Baylor's not uh, anything like what we're used to seeing Baylor be. I think you kind of just enjoy. Not you individually, but everybody just kind of likes to see Baylor lose right now. Yeah. Like there's nothing. Like I like Jim Grobe, but man, he's not enough to offset that mess at Baylor right now. Like I couldn't just comfortably go into a game like ah, I'd like to see Baylor win this game. Yeah, I think that might be part of. It. I mean, Boise State's ten and two, but three and nine against the spread. That tells you, you know, that's sort of a well because they have a house of cards. Well, they have that reputation of Boise State. And everything has been like, oh, they're still like they were when Chris Peterson was there. It's like, well, they're not. Yeah. They're not quite that good, but they still have that sort of public image, I think. Yeah. 
Uh, Pinstripe Bowl, this was one of the locations we thought the Hokies had a chance to go to. Uh, ends up being Pitt, Pitt in Northwestern. Pittsburgh is a minus, uh, minus five and a half here. I will lay the five and a half. Uh, I, I really I realize I'm doing a lot of chalks here, but I don't like taking all these favorites in one day, but Pitt closed the regular season with three straight wins, including the upset of Clemson. Uh, last game for James Conner in all likelihood. So Is uh, Matt Canada coaching in that game as the coordinator? I he, did he's, not note that. He's uh, been a big reason for their success this year. I, I think they still have the talent and sort of the infrastructure in place to, to handle that. That would be my one concern with that, especially since Northwestern can score a lot of points. But yeah. I, th- I think I still like Pitt in that game. You know, I might reconsider that one before that actually goes to press. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking that all these favorites is not a good thing. Uh, here's a dog. West Virginia plus three over Miami in the Russell Athletic Bowl. I'm shocked that my, Miami's favored in that. They're favored. Um, I, uh, I don't see it. I don't know. Here's a fun fact. Can you believe Miami hasn't won a bowl game in a decade? 2006 was their last bowl game. I actually can believe that because I think I cited that in the game story one time. Oh, did you? Or okay. Some off-season thing. Well, they carry a four-game winning streak into this one, but we'll take 1,000-yard rusher Justin Crawford, QB Skyler Howard, <laughs> and end the points here. Foster Farms Bowl, Utah over Indiana. They're laying seven. Uh, this is uh, to your point about Frank and how nobody, uh, with few exceptions, nobody has really great bowl records. Uh, the Utes are 15-4 and four overall in bowl games and 9-1 nine under, nine under Kyle Whittingham. I mean, that is, uh, that is some serious bowl chops. I think I take them every year because I read that stat and I'm like, I, I can't go against them. Well, when I went uh, and first worked at Auburn, uh, Auburn did not make a bowl game that first year because they had Tupperville, you know, fell fell out with that and got fired, and they changed the coaches. But they still had me go down and cover the Sugar Bowl, Alabama against Utah, and that was a game where Alabama was like disappointed because they didn't win the SEC and didn't get into the game. And Utah went into that as uh, I think they were unbeaten that season, and Utah was up like twenty-one nothing in the first quarter, just completely ran Alabama off the field. Uh, so they know how to. Coach him up there at Utah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good coaching staff and a, a pretty good team that I think gets overlooked sometimes. Yeah, and I really like this pick, actually. Uh, you know, the Hoosiers have Indiana's a- with a new coach, too. Their coach got fired for – I mean, it's – well, he – I can't remember if he got fired or resigned, but, you know, there had been a report that he had been abusive towards players in, in certain ways, uh, which is kind of – you know, he's probably been the most successful – Kevin Wilson, the coach – probably the most successful Indiana coach uh, in a long time there, and they still got rid of him, which tells you how much uh, sort of he fell out of favor with the, the administration there. Yeah. Yeah. You know how long it's been since uh, the Hoosiers won a bowl game? It's been a minute. I'm a quarter a- century. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they have a QB with almost as many picks as TDs. I, I love Utah here. Lay the lumber. <coughs> don't blink. Texas Bowl. Kansas State plus two over Texas A&M. I feel like the Aggies have been overrated since Johnny Manziel left, and their 4-8 record against the spread this year underscores that. K-State isn't much better. They're 5-7 and seven against the Vegas number, but they have a stable of talented running backs. I think they'll get it done here as a, as a short dog. Yeah, K-State, you always look at me like, how are they going to do anything? And then Bill Snyder comes up with some way to you know win the game playing rugby, essentially. I mean, it's... It's it's kind of amazing to see how they continue to operate and succeed at Kansas State and Texas A&M is one of those schools that's the glitz and glamour school, but I think maybe this is the uh, more workmanlike one. Kansas State will win this thing. You know, they're not glitz and glamour, man. I've been there. I've been to College Station. It is boring. 
It is. Well, I'm saying the program sort of. Uh, oh yeah, with when Johnny Mandel has was that there. perception. Yeah, now. They, they, you know they, they got the swag. It's some, the yeah. swag copter and and all that stuff with someone who, you know, honestly has not, uh, you know, other than that one Manziel year, and even that ended only with a Chick Fil A bowl win against Duke. Uh, he hasn't really won as much as his contract certainly says that he should be winning. Yeah. Well, my wife spent one year at Texas A&M before transferring to Maryland, and. You know, she would talk all about the twelfth man and bonfire and all that. This before the bonfire uh, tragedy, of course. But and then we got there, and Randy King and I got there, and I was like, okay, you know, I guess it was a noon kick. It wasn't when Tech played them. I mean, Tech beat them. The crowd wasn't impressive to me. They did chants, but the chants were lame. I don't know. I hope nobody from Texas A&M is listening because uh, oh, you'll they, get some emails. They take I'm a sure. lot of pride in their program, and I understand that. But uh, and my, my wife still pulls for them a little bit, but. I just I did I was not impressed. I was I was sort of let down by by the atmosphere in College Station. All right, well those are the picks that gets you all the way up until next Thursday. We will tape another one of these hopefully in Charlotte uh, next week. Uh, we'll have a little time hopefully before the before the game to get one of these in. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, about that matchup and also uh, give you the rest of the bowl games. And of course we'll give you an update on Aaron's record at that point. Of course, unless it's bad. In which case, in which case, it will never be mentioned again. <laughs> All right, man, this has been a wild and crazy podcast today. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll talk to you next time.